Thank you, Ellie. We are going to open our Bibles now. We're going to be uh, picking back up in the book of Philippians, uh, finishing off chapter 2 today. So grab your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be reading from verse 19 to 30, and Judy is going to lead us in that reading. Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him soon as I see how things go with me and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus my brother co-worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs for he longs for all of you and is distressed because he heard because you heard he was ill Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honour people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Thank you, Judy. Um, We're going to ask you to keep your Bibles open. We're going to study these verses. We're going to work our way through them and learn from them. Uh, And you'll be well served if you can refer to them as we do that. And if you can check check what I'm saying uh, against them. So please keep them, keep them handy. Uh, I don't think I'm alone in this, but uh, I have a special loathing for flat pack furniture. Um, it just seems like over the years we've put together so much flat pack and it's, it's just the worst. Uh, I don't know, if, I, I'm sure you probably resonate with that. It's, it's time consuming, it's confusing, sometimes it just doesn't fit well uh, and it's, it's just frustrating. It always leads to, to difficulty, doesn't it? Um, I think the latest set that I put together was probably my least favourite. It didn't even have written instructions. Um, it just had little pictures of people putting it together and kind of, you just kind of had to do what they were doing, which was, it was hopelessly confusing. I loathe the stuff, um, but I am in awe of it. Because, you know, when you, you, know, you get your, your flat pack from Ikea or from Fantastic or from wherever you've, you've got it, you know when you open that box that it has exactly, and I mean exactly, in it, everything that you need. Precisely what you need is in there. 21 wood panels, wood, check. Uh, 17 little dowels and 12 medium-sized dowels, check. 18 medium screws, two small screws and then four of those kind of little cam screwy things, check. You know, it's, it's just always there. Uh, there's no wastage, is there? Um, you need a Phillips head to put this together and an Allen key. Well, we're not, we're not going to put two tools in there. That would be waste. Let's stick them together and make some weird hybrid tool. Um, bad luck if you need three, then you get this strange little monstrosity. It's, it's ingenious, isn't it? You know, what you get in the box 
is absolutely everything you need for the job. That, it's quite remarkable. It's brilliant. Now, in that, God is a bit like Ikea. There's a strange comparison. You'll probably never make that again. Uh, God is a bit like Ikea in that uh, when it comes to his church. <laughs> What's in the box <laughs> is everything we need. Uh, so it'd be easy for us. It'd be easy for us to come to a passage like this uh, and look at it and think, wow, wouldn't it be great if God would send us Timothy and Epaphroditus? <laughs> That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? They sound like great guys. What an asset they would be to us. Imagine what we could do with them in our church. But actually, that's missing the point. That's really not what this passage is about at all. Because God is a bit like Ikea. <laughs> God gives the church exactly what it needs for its work, for the job that he's set it. And God, in case you hadn't noticed, hasn't given us Timothy or Epaphroditus. <laughs> Therefore, we don't need them. We actually don't need them. We know that because he hasn't given them. But what has God given us? God has given us you. God has given us all 100 odd of each other from five and a half months old to 94, I think. Don't quote me on that. He's given us us. So the church doesn't need person X out there to do its job. The, person, the church doesn't need program or characteristic Y uh, the church needs exactly what God has given to the church. And exactly what God has given it is you and me. It's us together. See, what this church needs, what our church needs, is you and I, just as Timothy and Epaphroditus did in Philippi, to live like Jesus. To look and act and be shaped like him and as we do that as we look like jesus here with one another the church is served but what does that mean and what does that actually look like well that's what this passage unpacks for us now a lot of people have told me over the last couple of months that either philippians is their favorite book in the bible or that their favorite passage in the bible is in philippians and i think that's great it's a beautiful book but I'm guessing that almost no one has this passage as their favourite. Because let's be honest, it's that passage that we kind of skim over, isn't it? It's, it feels just like a travelogue and, you know, reading other people's travel plans is boring. Why do we need this? Well, we need it because it's important. Because it teaches us something special. We need to remember we've got Paul uh, writing this letter. Paul, uh, the apostle who loves this church and who desperately wants to visit this church again. because he, he has great and close relationship with them. He wants to see them again, but he can't because he's in house arrest in Rome. He doesn't know how long that's going to go. He doesn't know when it's going to end. So what can Paul, who loves this church so much, what can he do to serve this church and to look after them, you know, beyond writing them a letter? Well, what he can do is he can send a friend. And that's what he does. Look at verse 19 again. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone else, uh, everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. 
I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Uh, it's, it's quite a description, isn't it? You know, we get this picture of Timothy that's quite special. Uh, Timothy is, is like a son to Paul. That's, that's kind of how their relationship works. So close is their partnership in the gospel. Um, but it's not, that's not the particular reason why Paul's sending him. Um, he's not being sent because he's the smartest guy Paul's got, because he's got you know, the highest IQ or the greatest intelligence. Um, see what Paul says of him. He says, I have no one else like him. Now, it's a little bit obscured there, but the word is literally with a mind like his. And Paul uses that very deliberately because it's an echo of what we saw just a few weeks back from Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, where we talked about having the mind of Christ. The words are almost the same. It's a relation. Paul's, Paul's drawing that connection. Um, he's saying, Timothy's that guy. Timothy's that guy who has a mind like Jesus. And, and that sets him apart from all the people I know. <laughs> now, don't, don't, don't read that to say, you know, all the other people that Paul had with him were duds. <laughs> That's not it. What he's saying is, Timothy's mind is like Jesus. Timothy is fixed on Jesus, like-minded with him. Now, as Paul says, the others uh, look to their own interests, look to their own desires and plans and ways, having their own mindset. But Timothy's mindset is that of Jesus. And that, that shapes his entire life and particularly his service to the gospel. Now, what does Jesus' mind look like? Well, we saw it a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Back in chapter 2, in verse 6 through 8. Jesus' mind is, is radical. It's remarkable. It's not a mind that grasps or clings to uh, what was his, but a mind that pours himself out, that uh, gives himself up to become a man. And, and even in that shape... Uh, to then humble himself and, and give himself up even to death on a cross. So what is the mind of Jesus? The mind of Jesus is self-giving, even to the point of death. And as we saw in that very act, in that self-giving, saving, rescuing and forgiving and restoring sinners like ourselves. That, Paul says, is Timothy's mind. That's how he thinks, that's how he acts, that's how he's driven. Self-giving, not selfish. Looking to Jesus, not looking to himself. Shaped by Jesus, shaped by the gospel to build it, to strive for it, to advance it and grow it. We might think, you know, if we were to sit down and have a brainstorm... Uh, we might think there are lots of things that this church needs. <laughs> you know, we could probably come up with a whole list of it. Lots of things that are important. But what Paul says is, chief amongst all of those, the greatest need of the church is people who are selfless, who are Christ-like for the sake of the gospel. That is what the church needs. A couple of years back, uh, I saw a photo that was posted to Facebook. Um, I don't know who did it. It was some random person. Uh, and it was, it was a picture of a lady uh, holding a turtle up for the camera. Um, and the caption was, uh, we found this poor guy wandering around, uh, looking tired and thirsty, miles away from any water, so we gave him a drink 
and we drove him to a lake and we put him in the lake. You think, well, that's, that's lovely. You know, what a, what a kind and, uh, and genuine thing to do. You know, look after this poor turtle. You know, turtles need water. They've rescued him, brought him home. It seemed lovely until you read the comments uh, and someone had commented, that's a tortoise. They can't swim. So you can imagine what happened to poor tortoise. There's a lot of things we assume that the church needs, isn't there? Uh, if we were to brainstorm it out, you know, the church needs strong community. You know, if we, we have a strong community, we'll be a strong church. If we have uh, attractive music, you know, we'll be an attractive church. If we have, you know, really great pastoral care or really dynamic programs or offer something for everyone, then our church will be strong. And don't get me wrong, those things are good. But they are the externals of our church. What Paul is talking about here is the heart. What the church needs is a gospel-shaped, a Jesus-shaped heart. Because at the end of the day, strong community without the gospel is nothing. You can get strong community at your local footy club. Attractive music without a gospel heart is, is empty. There's good music all around us. And we could go on, couldn't we? What we need is the gospel. And our church is best served when we, that is you and I, look like Jesus. That's when our church is best served. When Jesus' mind shapes our mind, when the gospel is at the heart of everything that we do. When we're caught up not looking at our own interests and our own desires and mindset, but looking uh, like Jesus. Looking to the interests of others, self-giving, sharing his mind. That's what our church needs. See, it is very easy for us to do all sorts of things in the church but not have the mind of Jesus. You can find yourself fulfilling all sorts of roles and being on all sorts of rosters but, but not doing it for his mind or with his mind, doing it out of other motives instead. You know, we can find ourselves stepping up to do jobs because I know the way that it needs to be done. Or, the, you know, I, then I feel like I'm pulling my weight. Or I feel like I'm, I'm important or doing, doing my, the, the right thing. But if you serve without the mind of Jesus, while, yes, you are getting stuff done, you are not serving our church with what it really needs. Having the mind of Jesus, on the other hand, it may mean doing the same things, but it will mean doing them with a different shape. You know, I'm doing this. Even though it's not how I would have done it, <laughs> how I think it is best or how I like it, but because that's what we've decided. That's how we've decided. I, you know, I'm doing this. Even though it will never be seen. Even though no one will ever notice or know that I did it. Because it's actually not about me. I'm on this roster. I'm, I'm doing these things. Not just, you know getting the job done and then leaving, putting in the, the bare minimum or turning up at the last minute, but thinking, how can I best serve others in this role? How can I do this in a way that other people will see Jesus in me as I do this? We've been called here to put aside personal agendas, selfish motivations, whatever else may drive us, and to have the mind of Jesus selfless, self-giving, gospel-shaped. 
Because at the end of the day, that's what our church needs. Not more stuff, but more Jesus-shaped people and people who are more Jesus-shaped. Selfless and self-giving and all about the gospel first. About building a gospel culture, about striving for gospel growth. We don't have Timothy, but we do have you. But there is more here, because as we've noticed, Paul's not just sending Timothy, um, he's also sending Epaphroditus. Now that might seem a bit strange, you know, uh, if Timothy's the gospel-hearted guy, the gospel-minded guy, what more do we need? <laughs> like, what could we put on top of that? Well, actually, we, there is something important, because we see in Epaphroditus the shape of that gospel life just explained a bit more. We see something vital about it. Uh, look at his description. Look at verse 25. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honour people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Now, reading this, we, we get the picture that Epaphroditus is a Philippian. He's, he's grown up there. He's probably been a leader in the Philippian church. And again, he's, he's quite a guy, isn't he? Look at the, the, the way Paul describes him. He's, he's my brother. He's my fellow worker. He's my fellow soldier. He's uh, your messenger and your servant to my needs. You know, he's a guy who has demonstrated value, doesn't he? For Paul, he's been immensely useful. For the Philippians, he's been a great servant. Now, Paul is still thinking, how can I serve this church that I can't see? And his answer is, whilst I'm going to send them Timothy soon, I'll send you Epaphroditus now. He's probably going to bear this letter back to this church. He's sending him for personal reasons. You know, Epaphroditus had been sick. The church had been worried. There's been anxiety on, on both uh, ends. And so Paul's sending him to allay some of that. But he's also sending him for gospel reasons. See, Epaphroditus was a gospel servant. In fact, in this service to the gospel, he'd risked his life, almost to the point of death, all for the sake of Jesus and for the service of the gospel. See, what's happened uh, before this letter is that Epaphroditus has been sent by the Philippian church to Paul to help him, uh, probably bringing news, but also bringing a gift, not only to be you know, an aid to him and a servant for him, but probably financial support to, you know, keep Paul's work going, to help him as he serves the gospel. Um, it's a reasonably long journey, the journey of weeks, uh, and an important one, you know, bearing this gift to support Paul's work. And it seems that what's happened on the way is Epaphroditus has become sick, uh, and quite sick. And he's at the point where he could have stopped or he could have turned back, but instead he's kept going, even though sick. And his kept going, even though keeping on going, has actually made him worse. <laughs> even though it's brought him nearly to the point of death. He said, this work is important. So important that I'll risk my life 
I won't stop though I'm sick, I'm going to just keep on going because it matters. That's how he valued this gospel work. And in that, Paul says he's a bit like Jesus. Uh, in, in verse 30, he uses the words, uh, he almost died or he nearly died. And the words are literally, he drew near to death, which is a direct quote again from chapter 2, from chapter 2, verse 8, where Paul's describing what Jesus did. And he's doing that very deliberately. He's saying they did kind of the same thing. Epaphroditus followed Jesus. He lived like him. He imitated him, all for the sake of Jesus and the gospel, even close to the point of death. Epaphroditus didn't stop and say, this work isn't worth my life. <laughs> Instead, he said to live is Christ, to die is gain. Gospel work following Jesus is bigger than me. Paul is sending him for that reason. He's saying that's the sort of person that the church needs. People who will risk their life, who will pay the cost, who will give it up even for the sake of and in service to the gospel. We need risk takers. That's fairly uncomfortable, isn't it? We need risk takers in the church. Because let's be honest, we don't really like risk, do we? We don't like taking extra risk on ourselves, let alone even the, you know, risking life itself. That's, that's really, that's awful, isn't it? We're, we're actually quite a risk-averse society. That's why playgrounds in the last 20 years have rubber under them now rather than concrete and safe equipment. See, the only time we like risks is when it's something that we choose to risk or we're happy to risk for. Um, for example, there's a 1 in 140,000 chance that when you get on a bike, you'll die. <laughs> and yet, I mountain bike. Lots of people mountain bike. There's a 1 in 34,000 chance that while you're scuba diving, you'll die. And yet lots of my friends do that, and lots of people go to the Great Barrier Reef to specifically do that. Uh, when you go running, there's a 1 in 1 million chance that you'll die. Uh, given how awful running is, I count that an unacceptable cost. But of course it can go on, isn't it? Those are optional risks. But actually there's just risks to, to, to living, isn't there? There's risks just to existing. Apparently there's a 1 in 6,700 chance of dying in a car accident. And yet, you probably didn't walk to church, especially today. <laughs> Even playing board games comes with a 1 in 100 million chance of dying. <laughs> Think about that next time you bring out Monopoly. Uh, actually, probably Monopoly causes more deaths than that. <laughs> like, what a nice, safe thing to do. See, there's risk all around us, isn't there? Um, some of them we can't avoid, some of them we quite happily, happily take on because we count that cost worth it, we, we judge those things valuable enough to us to take on that risk. Well, what about Jesus? How risky is your service to him? What have you put on the line for serving him? I mean, it shouldn't, shouldn't come as a, as a surprise to us, should it, that there is a cost? He didn't exactly try to hide it, did he? Uh, Jesus himself died. He didn't go to the cross as if it was some sort of surprise. He went there knowingly and deliberately. 
And yes, there He saved us from death and destruction. He forgave us and gave us life. But He did so at the cost of His life, willingly paying that price. And He said to us, multiple times even, if anyone wants to come after me, he must take up his cross. It's not though as if, you know, we believe in Jesus, pick up the cross, pay a little price, then put it back down for the rest of our walk with him. He said, pick it up and carry it. This symbol of death, this symbol of uh, sacrifice, that's the pattern of your life. That's following me. So what does the church need? What does the church need to grow and to be healthy? Um, it, it, it needs not Epaphroditus and his sacrifice, it needs you and me and us risking and sacrificing and paying the price for this church, for the sake of the gospel. Risking our lives, that is, willing to accept this cost for Jesus. That's what this church needs. Not passengers but people willing to pay, pay the price, to take the risk. It can look like all sorts of things. It needs people like us willing to say, here's a relationship opportunity, you know, here's, here's someone who I could help get to know Jesus, either for the first time or for more. Yes, it will take time. Yes, it's a commitment, maybe a commitment of years. Yes, it will cost time with others. It will eat into family time or recreation time or whatever. And yet that's a cost I'm willing to pay. That's a risk I'm willing to take. Just as Jesus did it for me. It's us being willing to say, yes, this plan, this ministry, whatever it might be, yes, this is risky. Yes, this is a big step. We don't know how it's going to pan out. It's going to take time, it's going to take resources, maybe it will come to nothing, and yet, it's a chance to grow the gospel. It's the chance to reach out to others. So we're going to take it, because that's important, that's worth paying a risk for. It's us being willing to say, yes, this is something special to me, about who we are, but it's not essential to us. It's something I like, but it's really just a preference. And so, even though it's not wrong, maybe even though it's good, I'm willing to let it go for the sake of us and for the broader sake of the gospel. And we could go on, couldn't we? We've seen it so many times in the book of Philippians already. Self and selfishness sabotages the gospel. It is a needless impediment to its work. Selflessness, sacrifice, builds the gospel. And that's what the church needs. So will you take the risk? Will you pay the cost for service of the gospel? As Jesus has done for you. So what does the church need? When is the church best served? Well, the church is best served when you are most like Jesus. That's the bottom line here. It's not Timothy, it's not Epaphroditus. The church is best served when you are most like Jesus. Not when you do the most in the church, 
not when you give the most to the church, not when you're the most important person in the church, but when you are most like Jesus. That's best for us. That's best for this church. When you and I are reflecting his gospel-mindedness, when we are reflecting his self-giving sacrifice, when we look like him, the church grows. The church is healthy. So do you. Well, let's pray that we would. Let me lead you as we pray just that. Heavenly Father, we we want to give you thanks for your goodness and your generosity because you haven't just left us alone, but day by day you provide everything that your church needs in such wonderful and generous and gracious ways. Uh, We're not waiting here for a special person or a special program or a special moment because in every single one of these people here, uh, you have given your church precisely what it needs so that it can be served, so that it can grow, so that it can bring glory to your name. Father, we pray that we would be a church of people who look like Jesus, that his service, his selflessness and his sacrifice may be reflected in each of us as we work here and serve here uh, and serve you in this world. Father, may you transform us, our minds and our lives, that our his mind would be our mind and that his sacrifice and self-giving would be our sacrifice and self-giving. Father, this work is hard and we pray for your help in shaping us, your spirit driving us and transforming us that we would look more and more like Jesus. Father, we pray work in us and through your work in us grow this church that it would be a place where Jesus is seen and 